0: Hello, and welcome to First Week on the Wards OBGYN, a crash course on the basics of obstetrics and gynecology. On this episode, we will be covering various presentations that might be seen in L&D triage. We will walk through creating a differential and understanding when to worry. The first triage item we are going to talk about is third trimester bleeding. Bleeding during pregnancy is never normal, and there are a few general rules of thumb to remember when a patient comes in with bleeding. First, do not do a digital cervical exam until the location of the placenta is confirmed. This will make more sense when we talk about placenta previa. The second is that Rh negative women with bleeding should receive rogam. Now, onto the big three items on your differential for third trimester bleeding: placental abruption, placenta previa, and vasa previa. Placental abruption is the situation in which the placenta becomes detached from the uterine wall. The connection between the placenta and the uterine wall is highly vascular. So when this occurs, blood can build up in this space between the detachment, causing stretching and leading to pain. This blood can also leak out and present as vaginal bleeding. And finally, the loss of blood that was supposed to go to baby is now not going to baby and can result in fetal distress. Put all together, placental abruption presents as vaginal bleeding, uterine tenderness, and fetal distress. If the fetal heart tones are unpredictable or non-reassuring, this may necessitate delivery. Risk factors for placental abruption include things that elevate the blood pressure, like preeclampsia, hypertension, cocaine, amphetamines, and tobacco. I imagine this elevated pressure from the maternal side physically forcing the placenta off the uterine wall. Other causes are trauma, which can cause shearing of the placenta, multi-parity, and sudden decompression of an over-distended uterus. The thought with sudden decompression is that as the uterus quickly shrinks down, its movement is quicker than that of the placenta and leads to shearing of the blood vessels. Almost like the way you feel in a car after it suddenly starts or stops. Different physics, but somewhat similar visual. So things that over-distend the uterus would be polyhydramnios or multiple gestations. The next differential is placenta previa. This is exactly what the name suggests, a preview of the placenta, or implantation of the placenta over the internal cervical os. Oftentimes, if a woman is receiving prenatal care, this will already be known and will be monitored throughout the pregnancy. Previa seen early in pregnancy can resolve as the uterus grows up. However, it is possible that as the woman presents to triage, she may not have received prenatal care or her records may not be available. This is where not doing a digital cervical check is crucial until the placental location is known. Because putting a finger up into the cervix can disrupt the blood vessels of that highly vascular placenta that's overlying the internal cervical os, leading to more bleeding. This similar principle is why patients with placenta previa bleeding may be placed on pelvic rest, where they are encouraged to not have sex or insert anything into their vagina. Overall, the classic presentation of placenta previa is painless vaginal bleeding. Risk factors for placenta previa are having a previous C-section and multi-parity. Placenta previa at the time of delivery necessitates a cesarean section. Our last big differential is vasoprevia, or preview of the vessels over the cervical os. This occurs when unprotected fetal blood vessels are overlying that internal os. This is most commonly seen with a filamentous insertion of the umbilical cord into the placenta, where instead of attaching centrally, the cord inserts into the side of the placenta and does not have the normal coverings and protection. These exposed blood vessels are fragile and at risk for bleeding. A classic presentation for vasoprevia is bleeding at the time of rupture of membranes. Vasoprevia will present with severe fetal distress as this blood coming out of the umbilical cord is coming directly from baby. Other potential causes of vaginal bleeding may be cervical in nature like a polyp or ectropion. Additionally, this bleeding may just be bloody show or bleeding or bloody mucus that results from the vascular cervix beginning to dilate. Since we already covered preterm labor and PEPROM, other major topics that come up when we talk about labor and delivery triage, our next and final topic will be decreased fetal movement. Fetal movement can first be detected by the mother somewhere between the range of 16 to 22 weeks. Movement of the fetus is a good sign. This means that the baby is happy, growing, and most importantly, well-oxygenated. Therefore, if the baby stops moving, this may be a sign of uteroplacental insufficiency. Therefore, if a woman presents with the complaint of decreased fetal movement, it warrants investigation. Feeling movement is a somewhat subjective measure, so we're going to use objective measures to assess how well baby is doing. We do this with what's called fetal monitoring. Fetal monitoring in and of itself is a huge topic, there are a ton of resources for reviewing this. Quickly, I will talk about two methods which I have seen the most in practice, an NST, or non-stress test, and a BPP a biophysical profile. The first test done is typically the NST. The NST essentially graphs the baby's heart rate over time to determine that the baby has a normal heart rate. In addition to rate, we also look for accelerations or periods of increased heart rate that signal activity and no concerning decelerations or decreases in the heart rate that may signal distress. When we look at the strip, we also want to look at variability or the second-to-second variations in heart rate. If you have a smartwatch or some way to track your heart rate, you can see that even just sitting on the couch for several minutes, you'll find that your heart rate doesn't stay at just one value. These minute changes are good. What we specifically want for the baby is for that variability to be moderate, defined as 5 to 25 beats per minute. All of this will make more sense when you study these further, but essentially, if we can see that baby's heart rate is good and reactive, then we can be reassured that everything is okay. When we do an NST, we watch for at least 20 minutes, if not longer, to give baby the chance to be awake and active for us. If this test doesn't look reactive or reassuring, we can move to a BPP, where we physically look at baby on an ultrasound and count movements, breathing episodes, and tone. We will also look at the fluid around baby. The data for one or both of these tests can then be used to determine if we need to do something, deliver the baby, give mom fluids, sit and watch her for a little bit, or send mom home reassured. While these are just a few possible problems pregnant patients can present with in labor and delivery triage, I found these to be the most common on the wards.